You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. Hello there, I'm Sharon Noonan and you're very welcome to this second helping show of The Best Possible Taste. When you get the chance to hear again some previously aired interviews... And in this programme, we're going to hear about summer wines with Ron Forrestal from Forrestal Wine Merchants. We're going to recall my visit to McNean House in County Cavan when I met award-winning chef and consummate gentleman Nevin Maguire. And I'll also be saying tally-ho with Sarah Evans of Limerick Carriage Tours. Feel free to contact Best Possible Taste at any time by emailing me s.noonan at live.ie or you can tweet me at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation. Now it's time for the first second helpings interview and it's with our resident wine guru, Ron Forrestal. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. Ron, you're very welcome to the studio tonight. So we're going to talk about summer wines. Yes. Yeah, I know we're, we're doing a kind of a, a, a breakdown on countries each each time we come on. But tonight I just thought we'd take a break and look at some of the ones that really suit when the weather's good. You're maybe sitting out um, and want something that's very drinkable, uh, not overly expensive and uh, very fresh and that kind of summer feel to it. Well, let's start with one of my favourites and that's the Vino Verde from Portugal. Yes, uh, Vino Verde is, is a um, very traditional uh, Portuguese wine. Uh, Vino Verde means green wine, so it is actually very, has a real green tinge in it. It has a slight effervescence similar to a very light, very light Prosecco, um, but it's a really fresh, I had a glass of this the other night, um, and it's it's lovely. It's really drinkable. It's um, perfect. The alcohol level isn't too high, so it's it's has that. It's perfectly built for sitting outside. The percentage level on is only nine point five percent, which is probably two or three percent more less than most of them, which makes a huge difference, especially when you're drinking earlier in the day or in the evening. It definitely is one for the summer, for the fine weather. It's yes. not one for drinking by a, a roaring fire. No, it doesn't work like that at all. It needs to be really cold. Um, and it, this one is called Gas, Castle Garcia. A very distinctive label. If you've been on holidays in Portugal, you'll see it in Portugal. It's one of their one of their most prominent uh, and most respected uh, Vino Verdes. Yet great value, you know, costing around €11 Euros a bottle, €11.50 a bottle. Is that made in a different way to other wines because there's the bit of effervescence in it? Yes, indeed, yeah. There's a slight carbonation in it. I mean, very slight now. You can just about see it. You're not going to have bubbles rushing up through the glass when you have it. Uh, and it's served in a normal wine glass. It's not served in what you'd have in a champagne glass. Slightly different. Little sugar added, which gives us that bit of what uh, forms that natural sugars, along with the natural sugars, and makes that slight effervescent, but really slight. But what it makes is that it makes it really fresh. What sort of grape is that made with? Vino Verde. That's, that's yeah, yeah. actually yeah. the name of the yeah, grape, okay. Absolutely. And is there a part of Portugal that it would come from? Yeah, or? it's a joven. It's coming from the, if you look at Portugal as a, as, a, as a rectangle running down the side of Spain, it's coming from the top left-hand corner. Okay. Out to the coast, which is where the, the sea and where the seafood is, and it goes particularly well with seafood. And you mentioned Prosecco there, and you have a Prosecco from Treviso, is it? Yes, yeah. This is a Prosecco. This is a Prosecco Versante. It has a screw cap top. Um, it's one from Es Osvaldo. Uh, it's brand new to us. It's a new range of, of uh, they have a Pinot Grigio as well. Really nice products. This is a very good value. Costs you around just over 10 euros a bottle. Um, but it, everything about the, the, these producers is quality, absolute quality. 
Um, it has a lovely bubble in it. Um, it has a big sister then full pop-off cork Prosecco as well, which is really nice. Uh, but this is just great value, perfect for the for summertime drinking. How much is it a bottle? About 11 euros, just over 10, between 10, 15, 11 euros. Okay, yeah, yeah. that is very good value. Yeah, it is. And yeah. the, the, screw tap, the screw cap is very handy. Oh, it's perfect. You know, it's just ideal, particularly if you're drinking a couple of glasses of it and want to put it back in the fridge. And the only thing is it doesn't last too long because Prosecco is going to die really, but the, the bubble is going to lose in it, but the taste isn't going to change that dramatically. But yeah, the screw cap is really handy, particularly when you're out and... You only have to open as many as when you open it as you want it, then as opposed to pre-opening anything, which is. And the proseccos are usually a bit lower in alcohol. They're usually yeah, around eleven they percent. Yeah, they tend to be a bit. Um, now this one um, is eleven percent. Yeah, you very seldom you get any a prosecco that'll reach up to twelve percent. Champagne is the same; it just won't have that. Why is that? Um, it's it's probably the procedure for itself. It, it's a long process that it goes through um, for champagne for the full champagnes. Um, a lot of them are coming from the north of, of France, uh, just don't have the sunshine, don't have the sugar in the product, which means it doesn't turn into alcohol, so it's just lower. Um, and these all would have sugar added again, and the reason they add sugar to them is because it generates that process that gives it the bubble, that gives it the natural bubble, as opposed to, it's not injected with, with uh, carbon dioxide or anything, it, it has a real natural bubble in it. How long would it take for a bottle of that to be made from the grape being picked until it's in the bottle and ready to sell? Well, this one and the screw cap ones work kind of a bit quicker. They'll probably be in a bottle within six or seven weeks. Really? Yeah. As quickly as that? As quickly as that. Wow. But it's, it's, the, it's the champagne ones. If you take a full bottle of champagne, that procedure is very drawn out and very complicated uh, with yeast and um, the yeast tilting bottles and letting the yeast settle to the top and taking that out very long process hence you're paying for your product because okay. it's really hands-on there's no machines that can do it it's it's uh, it's as you see you need to be able to look at the bottle and say it's ready now and and very difficult process and of course we had the prosecco scare there last year that there was going yeah, to be a shortage really yeah really. it's yeah. everything's okay then everything's okay enough. and I, I was talking to a, to a, an italian uh, producer recently about this and we're talking about Pinot Grigio and Prosecco. And we were saying that Prosecco is massive. You know, it's huge in Ireland. Yeah, he said, it's just a shame. Ireland isn't very big. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's very popular, but it's not as big as... It's made huge advances in the UK and Ireland. But it's a huge amount of it being produced. And they're extending the area every year. Uh, Prosecco area is growing geographically, which means there's more and more Prosecco being produced in areas that were 20, 30 miles away from the original border of Prosecco. So much more uh, pragmatic about producing it. And there's a load of producers. There seems to be a lot of it out there. Um, some of the quality is really dodgy. Um, you really need to pay a certain amount of it to get to get a certain... And I, I just think you always need to try and find something that's actually produced by somebody. As in, they produce a label. It's their label. They have a bit of background to it, a bit of tradition, and, and uh, um, you know maybe a, even the second generation involved in it. But basically, you can buy Prosecco in bulk from anywhere and put any kind of label you want on and they're best avoided. And in terms of duty then, is there a different duty yeah. on Prosecco than there are champagne or anything that has fizz in it compared to ordinary wine? Well, no, the, the, this Frisante, the one you see with a screw cap is the same as a bottle of wine. Uh, but the one to pop off cork because that's a higher pressure level in the bottle, it's double. Uh, so all champagne is all double. Uh, all the Proseccos with the pop-off corks are all double, hence the cost. Okay. So there are 640 a bottle duty on one of those. 
Yeah, so six forty a bottle, and then if you're buying a bottle at eleven euros. Oh, you wouldn't get anything with a pop off cork for eleven euros. Okay. It just wouldn't happen. Um, or like if the you cheapest did, you, you get need them to for like sixteen or seventeen euros would be the cheapest. But out of that now, you'd have VAT of three fifty. You'd have the six forty duty coming out, and even at that, you'd have very little left for anybody else. So you'd really question. You'd only spend around eighteen or twenty euros on a bottle of prosecco. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to move on now to, is this a French wine? Yes, south of France, Languedoc, uh, just uh, north of Béziers in the south of France. And this is a range that we've just taken on called Bachelery, uh, Domaine de Bachelery. Uh, really relatively small producer, but just a fantastic um, varietal wine range. Um, in this range, we have uh, Pinot Noir, we have uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot and the Reds, we have Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc in the whites, and then we have a rosé, which is a Pinot Noir rosé. And they're great value. This is like a, a just over 10 euros a bottle, and it's a fantastic product. Yeah, I didn't realise now that rosé, that Pinot Noir grapes made rosé. Yes, they, they always use red grapes to make rosé, because the... I think, as, as we said before, the juice that's in a grape is clear. It doesn't have any colour. The only thing that gives wine colour is the skins. So the red wine, the skins are left in there, and that generates the colour. And the longer they're left in with the, with the juice, the longer, the, the more colour they get. The, and with what happens, so with white wine, they can pull out the, 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 the skins and the flesh of the grapes after they mulch together. They can pull them out relatively quickly. Um, with reds, they leave them in there for four or five days to generate the colour. The more colour they want and the more tannins they get. But then with the rosé, there's a mid-ground there that they leave them in for a little while just to get the colour in it, depending on what kind of colour they want, and then whip them out. So you end up with that kind of almost like salmon coloured and the lighter ones. And then you see roses that come from Chile and South America were very deep in colour, or from Spain as well tend to have very deep ones. And that's just left in there longer and the skins get more contact, and that gives the colour. And what would you recommend putting this rosé with? Is it the sort of drink you can have standalone, or does yeah. it go well with certain foods? Well, what roses tend to be is te- they tend to be fairly... They're not, not that dry. They tend to be a bit more medium medium dry, so they're easier to drink. Uh, like Sauvignon Blanc can be very dry. Chardonnay is a bit more medium, but this is a more fruity kind of medium drink. Uh, they're ideal to drink before you sit down. Like, roses are huge in the UK. If you go to a bar in the UK, you'll see two white wines by the glass, two roses and two reds. That's and it's very rare you'd see that here. It should be very unusual mm. to see that here. There might be four reds and four whites here and one rosé. And there might only be for the summer months. It could be dropped for the rest of the year again because it just wouldn't have people drinking it enough mm-hmm. to justify it. And it's saying here that about the fresh red fruit notes and perfect with mm. melon salads, sweet and sour dishes. Mm. That's quite interesting. And exotic cooking. There you go. Well, now... Th- See the thing is that I suppose there's a bit more body to it because it's it, it has a it's a red grape so there's a bit more to it so the it rosy does work now it's saying that when they, they say exotic foods it's very difficult to pick wine with exotic food but if you're taking the exotic means Asian or anything like that because the food is so strong you know the flavors are so strong you find it very hard to get wine to accompany it mm-hmm. and a lot of the time beer accompanies it much better um, so it does. And particularly reds are very hard to put with them because reds react, you know, particularly into a chilli. Red really reacts with that when you're drinking it. It's very difficult to do. Um, whereas at least the whites are cold, you know, they have that kind of better. But the rose then has a bit more body to it. 
But really, Irish people tend to drink rosé when the sun comes out sometime between May and September. Okay. And then the red version of it... Yeah, this is the full red version, which means that this has got the four or five extra days with the with the uh, grapes in the mulch, with the um, in the juice, and this is a, a Pinot Noir is the lightest of the reds generally. This is a lovely, delicate, real easy drinking uh, red, perfect for people who are moving on who don't drink a lot of red and and find red a bit overpowering. Maybe this is the perfect one to start with. And what do they retail at? Just under eleven euros. Okay. So it's good with the great value yeah. and they're both around 12.5% as well yes. I mean I wouldn't normally associate a red wine with with summer, I know there's some red mm. wines that you would be drinking that are, some people would chill certain red wines Yeah well if you go to Spain they tend to chill most of the red wines Really? Uh, well mainly because it's too warm not to chill them like if you leave them mm. at the temperature of the earth they'll be at 24-25 degrees which is tepid <laughs> so they have to keep them cool so they tend to chill them down a little bit more than they should uh, so with the idea that when you're sitting outside a Spanish restaurant and put one on a table, it's going to heat up very quickly. So that's what they do. And the reason about that one is, like, red wine, some people drink red all the time. Like, they don't drink white at all. So they're going to they, they might just like something that, that they can have it, you know, for a barbecue at 5 or 6 o'clock in the evening where they don't want to have a Shiraz from Australia that's very heavy and has you asleep by 9 o'clock. They want something a bit lighter, and that Pinot Noir is perfect. Yeah, good to know that it's the Pinot Noir is the lightest of the of yeah. the red. Good to know that. Well, all great looking and sounding wines, Ron, and um, fantastic. Listen, thanks so much for coming in tonight. Thanks, Sharon. You're listening to the best possible taste with Sharon Noonan, sponsored by the Taste.ie, voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. Welcome back to a second helping show of the best possible taste with me, Sharon Noonan. This show is a collection of previously aired interviews and is available to listen on the Best Possible Taste podcast, along with lots of other previously aired shows. And you'll find it on the website SharonNoonan.com and you can also subscribe to Best Possible Taste free of charge and download it on iTunes or use the podcast app. Just before the break, we heard recommendations and suggestions for summer wines with Ron Forrestal of Forrestal Wine Merchants. Next up, we're off to County Cavan to the village of Black Lion, home to the award-winning McNean House and the lovely Nevin Maguire. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Nevin, I can't believe I'm in Black Lion in McNean House in the Kirkry School. I've just been blown away in the past 24 hours. What an amazing place. Thank you. And at long last, you know, we've invited you many times and it's great to have you here. So, yeah, listen, it's small. It's beautiful. It's my home. It's where I've grown up and it's where I've learned, I suppose, so much meeting so many people. And it's all about your team. Like we have 70 people working next door, which is incredible. Mum and dad started the whole business and to see the way it's gone from strength to strength. I'm very proud of that. I always believed in doing one and doing it right. Never owning a chain, never opening more than one. And you know so far so good that's worked well I've just been blown away by the quality of everything the opulence of everything and that is from the doorknobs to the the colour of the paint the furnishing and the staff your staff are incredible they're so well trained it must be something that you really do invest in yeah well first of all when it comes to interiors that's my wife she does an amazing job she has such great taste and detail and she really thinks about things and what works and what's trendy because we would go out a lot and see a lot of different because we travel a lot too so we always get inspiration from other places and other countries that we go to and it's a credit to her to be honest with you 
And you can see the passion and the love that she puts into that. Yeah, she's very good at it. And she's, you know, she's totally, it's not that she's qualified in it. She just has a great eye, great taste. And, you know, and, and in fairness to the staff, they keep it well. They maintain it well. And every January, like, we touch up, we reinvest. We done a big job in a restaurant last year. So running a business, like, we're 25 years nearly, or well, over 25 years actually in business. So we are since mum and dad took it because since they opened because we closed from 73 to 89 so in 89 it reopened and I've been cooking here since then and I've seen some big changes in food and people in decor and like I used to solely focus on the food but the food is only one part of the jigsaw it's about the service your wine list the ambience like like we done 83 for dinner last night in the restaurant and in the cookery school where we are now we had 16 people on the chef's table where myself and two chefs cook and serve the food so it's brilliant thank god well, you said um, earlier that your your parents bought it in 1969 and it was it was a Garda station. It bears no resemblance to a Garda station. They now. bought it. No, I wasn't even born then. I just want to tell your listeners that I'm, I'm, I am young. They bought it for a thousand punts and mum was a hotel, trained hotel manageress. So and she trained in Cotterview Street in Dublin. So dad was, um, I suppose the two of them said that it opened up and they opened up the restaurant. And then, of course, the troubles came along. And we would have struggled for years. Like people think it's an overnight success. It has been hard work. We've had I remember like cooking Sharon for eight, nine, ten people and not being able to pay the bills and looking at my mum and dad and really because I'm from family of nine, all the family worked. So we still have those core values of family values of looking after the customer, making them feel welcome. It's not a pretentious place. We never want that. It's just a lovely place that people come for a really nice experience. And that's what we want. That's what I've always kind of carried through. And the staff, like, you know, they, it comes from their heart, their love, and they're so passionate about what they do. And, and that is the key. You know, you can train them to a certain amount, but if they're not passionate and, you know, they're not genuine, people can see through that very quickly, I think so. So we do have a great team here. I'm very, very proud of them. And people travel from all over. Like you came the whole way from Limerick yesterday. Thank it you. was worth every second. Jesus, that's some spin. It was worth every second, absolutely. Mm. But you're talking about your team there. And I'm a great believer in good leadership and communication and all of that. And they're obviously yourself at the helm. You're an excellent leader. <laughs> and you're, you know, you're communicating that passion and love onto your team and you're inspiring them to be the best that they can be. Yeah, and I suppose we have staff here a long time, like myself, Imelda, you know, we have Andrea who works in the office. I have a very good team around me for the restaurant, for my other kind of outside work, whether it's the cookery books, the television. So I have a very good team around me. So I want to show my team that they're very much part of the family. They're not just your staff. That's the way you treat them. My head chef, Glenn Wheeler, he's a Fermanagh man. He's been here 12 years. My second chef, 10 years. The sommelier, Blahi, now who was actually off last night. We give her this weekend off. She doesn't get many off, so I hope she's enjoying herself. She's been here 12 years. And then we have two waitresses that have been here 16 years. One woman in doing the bedrooms over 40 years. So if you look after your staff, and people will always come and go, chefs, and that's good for them and good for everyone because they need to learn and upskill and go to Dublin or wherever they want to because they can travel but if you can hold on to your core team that's the key that is it's not rocket science that is the key to run the good business and of course chefs do have a reputation of being a bit flighty and moving around and all of that and you know somewhere like dublin there's lots of outside attractions outside the office so to speak whereas somewhere like black lion cavan it is very destination yeah it's very quiet and i mean you've hit a nail right in the head in dublin you can move around in limerick and cork belfast wherever the cities the towns there's lots to do in black lion monday and tuesday when we're closed you know what we try and do 
with our staff is particularly the kitchen because they work long hours they have four long days and a half a day so they get two and a half days off so we've worked really hard to make sure that they have a life outside work because this industry can absorb you and it can really control your life and if you don't take time out you just get burnt out and you can end up hating it and that's not what I want I want to keep kind of being innovative being creative and letting the team in there that's really important that they bring their ideas so that they feel that they can bring a lot to the menu to the table and I think that's really important for them and you do take the team out and about mm. you've been to chapter one recently yeah. I saw you tweeting about yeah. that and Forest Avenue and, and the all greenhouse and there's so many good restaurants to Ox you name it uh, we go over to London regularly so we do and I think that's very important to do that as a team that we're all learning we never stop learning quite a few of my chefs even when we're close in January go for stages my sewer chef is going to go for a stage over to Peter Terre Tandy McFadden now in in the next couple of months so we invest in our staff it's the same at Blind doing the sommelier course we're putting her through that because we're going to benefit and she's going to benefit and, and I think that's really important so that your staff feel you know if they go to college that we will support them and, and that's so important because it's a win-win for everyone so travel not only for yourself as a family because you you do that regularly and you're saying about Imelda and yourself getting the inspiration there for the interior decor and your most recent tv series on rte was nevin's irish food trails so you were all over ireland with that and i was delighted to see you spent a lot of time in west limerick oh it was lovely it's a great part of the world and you know we were based in the shannon and drove down there to limerick and the mustard seed and some great places at dare wade murphy and there's some amazing people not only in food but in tourism and in crafts and i think the whole thing goes under the same umbrella because food is so cultural and 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 tourism and you know there's so many talented people now in ireland i learned an awful lot and i mean like we were based on the shannon princess which is a boat i've never been on and i suppose the whole story behind this program was something different last year we done the Basque country i'm going away now in two weeks time to italy to do the italian nevin's italian food trails so sharon i feel very privileged like i've done over 120 programs for rt i love that part of it but I wouldn't give up the kitchen next door. Do you know what I mean? That's what it all started. That's my base. That's my baby. And I love my job. I love the variety because you learn from people. You learn from other restaurateurs, from other chefs. You never stop learning in this industry. That's what I love about it. It's exciting. It's changing. Trends will always come and go, but good food is good food. Whether it's a basic sandwich or a bowl of soup, it's about good ingredients. Done simply and let the food shine through. And I think with this program, it's great to showcase the great people we have in Ireland. We're in the crest of a wave. It's never been better. Like when we meet often down at the Blossom here in awards, they're fabulous. You just meet people who are so passionate, who are, you know, so talented and really just care about what they do. And that's what it's about in life, enjoying it. When you come to put a TV show together like that and you're looking for people to interview and people to visit, you must be spoiled for choice. Oh yeah, unreal. You could do 20 programmes, no problem. You see, RT have kind of changed my schedule. It used to be 13 and now it's 6 and 6. So it's it's 6 programmes in um, in usually January, the end of January or middle of January, and then 6 programmes in uh, September, which is fantastic for me. But you look at different concepts, what works, and something new, something fresh, and something I've learned over the last year or two feedback from people who watch the programs they love the food element but they love a bit of the travel and the stories and that's important so it's not just all about the food and cooking which is for me everything it's about the people you meet and where is he this week and who is he going to meet so there's great feedback so that's something that we've worked very hard on 
don't ask me about the Italian program because it's only been worked on at the minute, but I am excited about that because there, every household in Ireland would eat Italian food at least once a week. So it's a very popular cuisine. My dream is to do a program in Thailand. And that will, please God, happen if not this year, next year. So we'll wait and see because, you know, for me, I learn when I travel and you get inspiration from people and you never stop learning. That's what I love about my job. You know, you meet some brilliant people. And I think that's something very important to communicate to young people about travel, no matter what profession mm, you're in. Absolutely. Like traveling opens your eyes. It's, we can get lazy and we can't be bothered and all of that. But the young people really, you know, you must get out there and take advantage of being young and being free and being able to do that. Yeah, it's so accessible. And I mean, my brother now lives in Australia and Perth. He's been there nearly 10 years. I've been over to visit him a couple of times with my mum and uh, bless her and also my wife Imelda. And I love to travel. And I used travel in January when we're closed for maybe two weeks or maybe two and a half weeks now we have the twins we have a different so we brought them to Thailand in January we had a most wonderful time and um, I love the cuisine I love the people so we love to travel as a family because we love to go to San Sebastian which is fantastic but even in our own country there's lots of fabulous places I brought them down to Fort Island last year where I was recording with Sonia Sullivan and just to see what we have in our own doorstep I think that's important too because you know we have such beautiful country we can't guarantee the weather but we can guarantee I hope good food the crack and the hospitality I think that's important and you mentioned San Sebastian there you worked there for a while in RZ yeah I worked at the Three Mission Star restaurant it's one of the oldest actually I think in Spain and uh, I worked there there was 27 chefs in the kitchen nine of them got paid the rest of them worked there a year for free and it was incredible it was a very intense kitchen they were very good to me very kind so I've uh, been there back there for dinner with Imelda and then when we went recording we went up to the kind of like test kitchen where they test recipes and there's a chef there that's worked for them for over 25 years Zabi is his name and um, amazing people great family values one of the most iconic iconic excuse me restaurants in the world and when you were working in the kitchen Sharon when you were prepping you couldn't put your arms out either side like when you were because there was so many chefs it was incredible the intensity of it was amazing but we're very lucky as Irish people because people like our warmth we're hard working I think we're a good honest people and we're good fun good humor and I, I just clicked I just think the Spanish people are amazing so we would go back maybe twice if not three times a year might be only for three days or maybe a, a week with the twins it's a fabulous place San, San Sebastian and everyone talks about Michelin stars for me I love to go to Michelin star restaurants but it's much more about that the pinches the tapas the way they eat Food is their life. It's everything to them. And they eat as a family, which is so beautiful to see. I think that's what I take back from that. And family times are special. It's not all about Michelin stars. You wouldn't be bringing the twins to a Michelin star restaurant. They'd be hanging from the lights. But it's all about just the cultural thing. And it's such a beautiful place. Have you ever been? I haven't. I haven't been. And it's definitely one on the list. I, I have a listener who contacts me every week with some bit of news and she has been to our really yeah she had texted me to say she was going there and this lady is you know she's retired and she's such a, she's so dynamic in the places that she goes to she's been to Bally Finn she's been to Ashford you know she goes to all she the best likes, places yeah. Yeah, and she knows she's been listening now and she knows I won't say her name but she knows who she is and who, <laughs> but yes I'm talking about you <laughs> she's that fantastic nice? yeah yeah and I mean as you said to travel and explore and you know enjoy like we have a lot to offer in our own country but I think when you go to different cultures to see the way they shop and they eat and you know we look at Italian cuisine we look at French cuisine it's all about the ingredients 
buying fresh, buying local and buying seasonal. And that's something that we're getting better at. We've always had great produce in Ireland. When you look at our beef, our fish, but we don't eat enough fish in my opinion. We're an island, but yet in San Sebastian, for example, they eat fish every day. They live in fish and you know, they have, a, and a lot of it is our fish, so it is from Ireland, their hake and all that. But you know, I, I think when you travel, you meet some amazing people, you go to the markets, and I love going with my family, but I love going with my team as chefs because we never sleep five star, I want to clarify that, but we eat in really good restaurants. We go to visit markets, we go to some, maybe some chef's shops or different things like that. Whether it's London, we've been to Rome, we've been to Barcelona. So yeah, we've had a great couple of days. We'd always go for about two days and that's more than enough. So it's, and it's very intense then. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very go, intense. Go, We're go, well go, fed work, and work, we have the odd yeah. little tipple and the restaurant is closed and it's a relaxing time. I suppose it's team bonding and team building and all the rest and it's inspirational tour. That's what you would call it. The presentation of the food here and your wear. The bowl at the porridge came in this morning, the latte, you know, even like simple dishes like that. I just, my sister and I'd be saying, oh my God, this is, you know, you'd be lifting it up to see where does this come I from? I want to hug you. It's so cool. Because I have a bit of a fetish about plates and, and glassware and different things like that. My accountant hates when I go to London because there's two places I go to, both on Baker Street, Continental Chef Supplies, and also there's Goodfellas. And they do plates, crockery, all that. And I spend a fortune. Like some of the plates you would have maybe had your breakfast on or even last night are 50 euro a plate. So, you know, um, I think, well, for me, it's about, I, I, I work a kind of a dish around a plate. But if the plates are nicer than the food, then we're not doing a very good job. But I do definitely have something about plates and crockery. It's a it's a thing I love. And I love when I go to different shows and think, God, I want that. You know, and now with the cookery school that we're in now, I used to only have to buy 12. Now I have to buy 24 of everything. And some of these plates, as I said, are expensive, but they're all washer, dishwasher. But you can tell, you can tell, to go back to the start of the interview and the, me saying about the quality, you can tell that one of the dishes that came out to me last night, I think it was the scallops, and I thought it was limestone or something, and I, I asked, and it was hot, it was it had been yeah. warmed up yeah, to, yeah. for the food, and I said to the, the server, I said, like, what is this, is this limestone or what is it? And he said, no, it's ceramic. Ceramic, I it is. I think he right. said it came from France. Yeah, well done. Yeah, Montgolfier, which is a plate, we have jars, we have loads of different ones, and you know, I probably go over maybe three, four times a year. Probably I'd love to go over more, but I'm not allowed. And uh, yeah, it's beautiful. I'm glad because people do comment on that. But that's about the detail that we go to. The food has, has got to be all about flavour, present it well. Because you eat with your eyes first and your nose, as you know, they're your biggest senses. But the taste is everything. The quality of the ingredients. We buy fresh, we buy weekly, and we know every single supplier that supplies us. And that's the key. We build up relationships. We can get food cheaper, but it's not about that. Like the duck that we have in my up the road Thornhill Duck he's been supplying us for over 25 years our fishes and killie bags we have three different butchers one for lamb one for pork and then one that we just get our beef of so we have a great supply chain here and I suppose people ask well why do you stay in Black Lion it's my home but it's about the produce and people come here it's a small little village it's a beautiful area it's very unspoiled we have the Burren kind of geo park you have the Marble Arch Caves Florence Courthouse Inniskillen up the road so people think coming from Dublin for example Sharon oh, he's, he's in Cavan he's an hour up the road we're two hours 15 minutes from Dublin so thankfully our business is going from strength to strength but it's all about that detail all about motivating the staff and making sure that they take pride in their work I think that's very important for all of us from what we do I had the Thornhill duck last night and the reason I had it was because at a 
a demonstration that you did many years yeah. ago, I think in Listowel, you talked about the Thornhill duck. God, you have some memory. It. But do you know, you did have such an impact on me at that demonstration. You have no idea, like wow. you really did, because I probably was there under duress, but I really enjoyed that demonstration and I, re- I remember it so vid- vividly. And you're talking about Thornhill duck and about how they use every single part of of the duck yeah they do and i mean he's a great producer and he's not a big producer you know for your listeners he processes maybe about four or five hundred ducks a week which is relatively very small uh, he's been supplying my parents since we opened the restaurant and mom used to slowly slow roast the full duck now we do that for our spring roll and whatever and then we have the breast and the leg and the livers so we use everything he's a wonderful producer it's a small breed of peking duck which is bred specifically for flavor and he does turkey he does geese excuse me at christmas he used to do turkey he used to do guinea fowl and quail but now he specializes in duck and duck is what he's known for it's either called black lion or thornhill thornhill excuse me is the townland so it's literally only five minutes two minutes from where i live five minutes from here he's a very laid-back producer which i love in one way i admire him in one way but his product is so consistent touch with him touching the table we've never had a complaint about his duck that's an incredible achievement for him that's amazing the flavor is fantastic it's not a big bird but the flavor the tenderness it's good as duck and my wife would often comment on how good the duck is because we duck a lot when we go to restaurants and there's lots of other good ducks but nothing beats his now Mm -hmm. the way it's reared and it's free range and the flavor it's very good he does a great job so we're lucky the other dish you did that night was the prawns and katafi pastry and for anybody that's looking for katafi pastry it's available from palace foods yeah you're right of course they're wonderful you, you highlighted that and last night on uh, one of the dishes, there was the rabbit. I think it must have been the amuse bush, the rabbits. And I said to my sister, this is in Gaddafi pastry. And she was amazed. I'm very that. impressed. <laughs> so for your listeners, Gaddafi pastry is like shred of wheat. And we get rabbit legs and we confit them like duck, con- like duck confit and duck fat. And then what we do is we pick them off. We put in a duck cell, which is some wild mushrooms and truffle. And if I was to tell you it was chicken because it's farmed rabbit, you wouldn't know the difference. We get it from a company called BD Foods. And they've been supplying it for 25 years. For your listeners, Tommy Bow, the famous rugby player, well, his father, Paul Bow, runs a great company. As well as dealing with the likes of Palace Food, we have lots of other suppliers, and they're all wonderful. And food is about trust. So rabbit, I would think, if you have it on as a main course, this is just a personal thing, people wouldn't order it. But as a starter, a little amused, they're kind of surprised, and they'll say, wow, I've got to try that. And then when my plate's safe, I might have the beef or the monkfish or whatever's on as the main course. But I hope you enjoyed it. I did, yeah, very much so. And that's what I love about a tasting menu, that it does stretch you. I was a bit disappointed that I had to choose my courses last night because I kind of like to be forced. Do you? Yeah, I do like yeah. to be forced. But you know, interesting you say that because, and um, sorry if I cut across you, last year we changed the tasting menu, la- not just gone by, but the, about a year ago. And we were a bit nervous because we used to offer a dinner menu with three, three and three, and then a tasting menu with no choice. And we, we decided to do a vegetarian tasting menu and then your fish and meat so people can alternate like have your goat's cheese or your orzo or your kind of like open lasagna with wild mushrooms and aubergine so people can mix if they want to and that's worked very well for us now we do get some people who say oh taste them on you i won't be fit for that but it's small courses it's intense you will be full you will be going to the chipper next door after it but you will definitely be satisfied but people could just come and have three courses but the taste menu i want people having a food experience here i don't want them just coming and just 
this is the way I want people to leave saying, wow, that was a fantastic experience. And when you have so many courses, you know, it's like a well-oiled machine in there next door. Now, for Sunday lunch, we offer a different uh, menu. It's €39, Euros, so it is. And we get a lot of families and kids, and we welcome that because they're going to be our future customers. But we'll do 90 to 95 every Sunday. We never drop That's below amazing. 90. We have 100 in there today. So we have. So I'm taking today off with my family, and then what I'm going to do is come in this evening for service. We do 45 on a Sunday night, one sitting, or 43 tonight, and then we're closed Monday and Tuesday. So looking forward to it. Well, the business is going from strength to strength. So wh- what's next now? What's next for McNeen House and for Nevin? You're, you talk about Italy, the programme in Italy, yeah. and I've no doubt that Thailand will happen as well. well. If it's not this year, next year, it will definitely happen. Fingers crossed. What's next? I suppose it's enjoying what you have and keeping focus on here. Black Line is the hub. Like I, I started my work in June with Simply Better for Dunn Stores who work with a lot of small artisan producers who I would meet around the country and also at my demonstrations but in Blossnaherne. So uh, for me it's about uh, I'm, I'm with them uh, until the end of May and hopefully they might give me if they want, if they're happy with my work you know doing recipes and that. So that's kept me kind of busy to be honest with you Sharon. But it's enjoying what you have here in Black Lion. We're in the school. This is my baby. This has always been my dream to have a school that's small and intimate for example this Saturday coming we have um, two half day classes parents and kids cooking so they'll come in at half nine until one and then from half two to half five so they'll be aged from five to fifteen with their parents with their granny or their aunts or whoever they're coming in with and it's fantastic so they're the kind of courses I want to be here a lot more uh, in the restaurant and also in the cookery school, which has worked out fantastic for me. It's a lovely intimate venue. We have a chef's table here Wednesday night and then Thursday we have a small cookery school for 10 people. It's kind of a corporate thing. So yeah, here here is what I want to really focus on is the cookery school. To enjoy time with my family and also my twins and Imelda. I think that's really important because we can all get carried away and, you know, the, I've got lots of offers to open up other restaurants, but it's never interested me, Sharon. It never has, you know, it's not about money, it's about a quality of life sometimes. And it's I think, very important. Well, I think it's more important than anything, you know, enjoying what you have. We're, we're, we're doing really well here. I've no ambition to open up another one and just enjoying what you have, you know. And I suppose I love doing the demonstrations because... A lot of them are charity based, like I done one last week in Clarone and 500 people, which is fantastic. We had 400 plus in Cork there. So I love going around the country because you meet lots of new producers and that's where I got a lot of inspiration meeting them. Well, listen, I really appreciate you taking the time to Thank talk you. to me today We're on your day off. Way. And <laughs> I will be going now to sit into my car to say, yeah, I've been blown away, totally blown away. Thanks so much now. You're so welcome. I wish you continued success with your show and thank you for having me on it again. Lovely to see you again, Sharon. Thank you. Thanks so much. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. Welcome back to Second Helpings of the Best Possible Taste, which features previously aired interviews. We're at the last interview of the show and it's with Sarah Evans from Limerick Carriage Tours. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Sarah, thanks a million for meeting me to tell me about Limerick Carriage Tours, a very interesting and new concept in the middle of Limerick City. Thank you very much for having me. Delighted to be here and really thankful for the support and coverage that a small business, um, you know, home-based business uh, gets because we don't have those big marketing budgets that the other, you know, 
big guys do. So this is wonderful for us, you know. Well, you might not have lots of money for marketing, no. but you do have lots of experience yes. in the equestrian world. Tell us a bit about yourself and your background. Well, originally I'm actually Canadian born. I grew up in Vancouver and at the age of 18, uh, headed for London, um, spent several years there training as a British Horse Society riding instructor, um, met my uh, Limerick-born husband there, uh, he brought me back to Limerick and we opened up an equestrian centre in Kuna and ran that for you know quite a few years and um, I think anyone that's involved with horses will know that you know the injuries start to pile up and uh, in 2013 I had to undergo hip surgery and it just coincided with uh, the development the new promenade along the river in Limerick and King John's underwent a, a massive uh, transformation and I just remember sitting in the office of my surgeon and he basically said you know you're going to have to find something else to do your body can't take this anymore and I had just come back from a holiday in Prague and enjoyed a wonderful carriage tour of the city and I just I suppose the brain started working overdrive and I thought this would be lovely for Limerick along the the riverfront and the historical parts you know the medieval and Georgian quarters and um, so I put two and two together went to my local uh, enterprise office wonderful support there uh, Berga Fulham couldn't thank her enough um, her words of wisdom still ring in my, around in my head um, and they supported me and, and gave me backing and uh, really took off from there and City Hall were excellent as well uh, Rory McDermott uh, wonderful helped me a lot um, and Limerick.ie because there is some act, isn't there, in Limerick? You just can't come in, in your, with, with your pony no, into Limerick. No, uh, the Horse Act uh, was brought in in 2013 and really it was just to curb illegal uh, act, you know, people flying around the roads on sulkies and keeping the horses in the backyard. Uh, I think it really kind of won it for, for, for me because I was a stranger going in there, didn't know who I was. Uh, was that the Kuna Equestrian Centre, uh, we predated the Horse Act, so our Equestrian Centre is in fact the only legal place in the city environs you can actually keep a horse. And, uh, you know, I kind of kept reminding them of that. So they had to do something for me. Um, there was a bit of a loophole there. Then. There was a loophole, I suppose you have to exploit these when you're trying to, to get something done. But um, understandably, they didn't know who I was and what I was proposing to do. And although it sounded great on paper, you know, was she actually going to, you know, uh, make this a positive uh, impact for the city as opposed to something negative? And... I have to say it, everybody worked out brilliantly and uh, we get great support from them now. The purple flag, you know, when Limerick was being judged, that Limerick is a safe city at night and there's a booming nightlife economy here. The judges were here in Limerick, it was just in early December. So we were asked to um, take the judges around on the carriage uh, as part of the evening's uh, itinerary. Now, they took them, uh, Magello O'Brien from the Limerick Tourist Office, she um, took them, the judges, all throughout the city. I think it started at 5 p.m. and finished at 5 a.m. in the morning. We had one aspect. We picked them up uh, at the Curragh Hour and we took them down to Dolan's. And then Magella took them on from there. Uh, but they had, to, they had to see everything in the city. What happens in the city after 5 p.m.? 
Let's talk about the carriage because although you enjoyed the experience very much when you were on holiday and that's where the idea came mm. from, there were a few things about that carriage that you felt it was lacking in that you've incorporated into your carriage. So just describe it to us in detail. Yes, well I suppose, look, when you do anything in business you always try to set out, uh, be different from the others, you know, stand out from the crowd. And I knew, obviously everyone knows about the Jarvis in Killarney and they have a wonderful offering. Um, there are the Aran Islands, you have carriages in Dublin, but I want to do something different. And um, when we were on the carriage in, in Prague, I was with my family and I said, wouldn't it be lovely if we could have a drink and maybe a few nibbles? And um, so the idea of a table uh, came into mind. And um, when I started shopping around for, for a carriage builder, I came across a company in Poland called Coiltix. Now they had made the, the Cinderella carriage for the recent uh, Walt Disney movie, so I knew they were very reputable, um, and they've won all sorts of awards in Europe for their carriages. So uh, I would contacted Jasek, and we had a chat, and I flew over, and he took me of a tour of the factory, and I just knew then this was going; they were going to be the ones that built the carriage, and so we had this wonderful table. Uh, it, it has cup holders, you can have a picnic, you can bring along a picnic, and there's wine coolers and even champagne. You can hold those very narrow champagne, uh, champagne flutes, and it works brilliant. I suppose it attracts a lot of people to the carriage because they like the idea they can either bring along their own drinks and nibbles or they can um, order them from the bars or restaurants. We work with so many different places around the city and uh, you know everything is possible. You offer a number of food experiences including dinner, Irish yes. coffees, Yes. tell so, us a bit about those. Well I'm this year uh, as a new thing every year you're trying to think of something new to bring on so we do a lot of work with the Lock Bar um, and they have the traditional Irish music nights and dancing and they're very popular and so a lot of the times we might pick up our guests from the lock, they'll bring a few pints, they might have had dinner beforehand, they might go back for the music. Uh, a new thing we brought on uh, is with uh, Bobby Burns's pub. So for this year we're offering private tours uh, with the dinner package for a very economical 20 euros per head for the dinner. Um, and we're also doing an uh, Irish coffee making class that you start in Bobby Burns's. You do the Irish coffee making class. You get to bring along your own sample and taste it afterwards. Then we come along, you do the carriage tour, and you can choose where you want to be dropped. You might want to go back to Bobby Burns's. You might go on to the lock for your traditional Irish music and dance night. You might be going for dinner in the Curragh Hour. You know, there's endless possibilities. Um, and the whiskey tasting is another one that uh, we're doing with Bobby Burns's. So you get a taste of three distinct Irish whiskies. And again, that can either be before or after your carriage tour. Um, and even just people bringing along their own picnics. That's very popular. I know over Christmas, uh, a lot of the families that were coming, the mums were bringing their... It was almost like you'd see them when they're packing up to go to Kilkee for the weekend. They were coming along with bags of treats for the kids and do you find it is tourists and local people is there a good mix between good mix, the two yeah certainly during the high season june to uh the end of september it's predominantly tourists but you know our local uh people have supported us brilliantly throughout uh you know christmas january we were doing uh birthdays and hens last weekend we had two sets of uh 
uh, Limerick uh, women. They just want something different to do for a night out. Um, and the beautiful thing about the carriage is that you can incorporate it. You can arrange to be collected from your chosen uh, starting point and you can arrange to be dropped off at the, again, your chosen drop-off point. So if it's a ladies' night and they're going for dinner and cocktails, it all works in brilliantly um, with the carriage. And what I love to see is the way that Limerick people, when they're sitting in the carriage and we're passing... Um, you know, historical places of interest that maybe they haven't taken much notice of. You know yourself when you're on the school run in the morning, you're zipping here and zipping there, and you haven't realised you've just passed, you know, the former Lord Mayor's residence, uh, which is a ruin now, but you're like, oh, I didn't know that was there. And you act as the tour guide. I'm the tour guide, so I give all the history. Um, every tour is different. Some people want more. They can't, you can't give them enough history. Others, uh, if it's a busy hen night, they're chatting and listening to music, but um, they love to stop at the Treaty Stone, get out, get photos, have a giggle. I'll give them a little bit of history if that's what they want. Um, every look, every tour, it's customized to suit the customer. So if they want layers and layers of Limerick history, they'll get that. And if they want to just have a laugh and a giggle, that they'll get that as well. So whatever the customer wants. And you have a very special man up front there I with do the reels. Indeed, the famous Joe Hogan. Uh, he'll kill me for saying that because he's extremely modest. Um, so Jer is known throughout the city, um, I suppose mostly for, he rescued all the people uh, during the floods of 2013, uh, the Island Field or St Mary's Park was the worst affected uh, area of the city, you know in some places people woke up and found their homes seven feet underwater and they were trapped upstairs and there really was no way to rescue them because they only rode in and they only rode out of St Mary's Park were underwater so the fire brigade and the army couldn't drive in with their trucks. There were rescue, the search and rescue boats were helping people out but Ger decided he would get his uh, little carriage and his horses um, and he went in and he rescued over 200 people. He started at half seven in the morning and he didn't finish till 10 o'clock at night and he rescued over 200 of his friends and neighbours. Uh, he became an overnight celebrity because all the television crews sent down, or television stations, sorry, sent down their uh, crews to cover this crazy Irishman uh, rescuing all the people. And um, there was a, um, got to meet the president, Michael D. Higgins, came down to, to thank Jur and thank the horses and there was a civic reception for him and... Um, wonderful and I, it's another aspect of our tour and everybody comments strangers look when we're on the carriage the amount of people that wave and honk um, and wish us well that's from Jer because they don't know me I'm a blow-in uh, but it's Jer and everyone will ask us who is why is everyone waving and you know I joke with the Americans and I say oh he's the mayor <laughs> the two of you are obviously Horse lovers. Oh, God, yeah. So, therefore, the welfare of the, the animals is, is very high Paramount. in your agenda. Absolutely. And you were telling me earlier that you're bringing them in from Kuna and that 15 minutes when they come into the city centre is actually very important it in is. terms of a warm-up. It is. So, on the way in, it allows them to warm up, get their back muscles ready to take, you know, weight in the carriage. And certainly on the way home, Ger will give them a loose rein and they'll just kind of warm down and stretch uh, my own background would be uh, sport horses and competition horses, so this is hugely important that this aspect is brought into their work. You can't just bring them cold, nor any athlete, and expect them to start pulling heavy weights. So the warm-up 
and warm down are hugely important. We rest them between each uh, tour. The, another thing about our carriage, which is unique, we have a storage box underneath. Uh, and I needed this because we need to bring water in. They get um, a lunch. We have a specially designed, uh, nutritionally balanced lunch that won't be too heavy on their stomach because they are working, but they need that. Horses have to eat every four hours. That's the way their digestive system is designed. Um, and uh, so between each tour, they'll be rested. They get a wash down in the summer if it's warm. They'll get groomed. They get a little snack. They get tended to before we do. So they don't, you know, we get lunch after they've been fed um, and we limit, we very much restrict our tours and we pay special attention. For instance, you might have a big eight, maybe eight people on the first tour. The next tour would be followed with maybe a smaller crowd of two and four. Um, and even on the tour route, the horses are stopping constantly. So we stop at the Treaty Stone, the horse gets a break. We'll stop again up in the Georgian Quarter. Uh, if we're on a pub crawl, the horse is constantly being stopped. So she's not going full belt, you know, and, and literally, you know, cut for breath. And it's not always the same horse? Oh, God, no. So we have several horses we use, and we actually... Um, we'll alternate the work days. So even in the height of the peak of the season, say in, in mid-July, no one horse will ever work more than three, uh, three sessions. And a session is limited to, say, four tours. So um, say, for instance, Beauty, she might do Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and she'd be on a four-tour. That would be her workload. Um, and same with the other horses. They're always alternates. So there's always a fresh horse. Uh, the fun part at this time of year is they're just coming in off a, you know, we had, we, we're not that busy in January, February and March, so they're all fresh. They're like spring lambs leaping around the place. And I joke with Jer because I'm like, you'll have your hands full today. They're a very pretty breed of a horse. Are they oh, they white are indeed. gypsy horses? They're Irish gypsy cobs and uh, ideal for this kind of work. Strong, sturdy, but extremely docile. Um, I couldn't imagine using any of my previous mounts, you know, the competition horses, they wouldn't be able for this because in the city you never know what's around the corner. It could be an ambulance, it could be, um, you know, roadworks, diggers, um, buses, loud trucks, you name it, crowds of people, flags. So you need horses as quiet as a police horse. And I have to say, um, ours are. They're just, it amazes me. I Sometimes I'd be kind of, oh God, and, and Jerry would just be whistling away. But he's done it all his life. He, you know, his family grew up, they, they had coal runs. He spent his youth delivering coal the old-fashioned way with horse and, and, and a four-wheeler. And he knows the roads the back of his hand. Um, I let him do the driving, so he's in charge of the driving and the horse. And I'm in charge of the carriage as, you know, helping the customers and the guests get on and off and looking after them. So it's a great team. Well, the business has gone from strength to strength in a very short space of time because you're only up and running less than two years. Yes, about two years now, yes. What's your vision now for it going forward into the future? Keep developing our ties with our local businesses. They're so important for us. We're looking at bringing on a... Um, Another high-end luxury carriage, but more geared for the twos and fours. We get a lot of couples and, uh, say, fours. The carriage we have now can take up eight comfortably. Um, and uh, we, we just there's definitely a market there for the smaller, uh, you know, the more romantic setting. Um, 
again has to be weatherproof because the Irish weather even in the summer you, you know it blows in here um, but that's what we're looking at bringing that on um, and you know we'll continue with the products um, with the private tours and the family tours and the hens and the pub crawls because every weekend it's a mixed bag we could have a pub crawl followed by you know a historic tour so you're and it makes it interesting for us you know um, and it's wonderful. So just to keep growing our business, uh, it, like I say, keep it local and keep working with our other partners in the tourism industry. Well, I have no doubt that it will continue to go from strength to strength. And it's been great to meet you. And thanks so much for telling Annoying me all about it. Bon appetit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Sadly, that brings us to the end of Second Helpings of the Best Possible Taste. Thanks so much for your company. And until next time... Bon appétit. Thanks for listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. To get in touch with The Best Possible Taste, email Sharon at SharonNoonan.com or tweet Sharon at Queen of Org. As in, Queen of Organisation. Bon appétit.